0: we made it lads episode 100 congratulations to us i guess uh, thank you <laughs> yeah Th- does it mean we're ending it the- like is this our final episode i mean we haven't had that conversation so i don't think so uh i mean yeah, okay. if, if you want to take that offline we can talk about it federico if you're leaving no. me and Jayad, but
1: i was kidding no i'm not leaving you
0: guys don't you see you I should not do that kind of stuff because now you're gonna hear from people that you've upset you know that right
1: no, I don't want to. Oh, come on. Pe- people know that I'm one for the jeeps.
2: You know, you, if that's I'm a jokester. That is one thing that's... people know you for. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but Mike, before Federico joined us, you told me that he was going to be leaving. Oh, don't do this.
0: Everyone's no, going to no, believe.
1: No, no, that's not that's <laughs> not fair. <laughs>
0: uh, I have nothing to do with any of this. I just want to make that abundantly clear. This this <laughs> had nothing to do with me. Uh, but Shahid did pose to us how would we celebrate our 100th episode? And we were kind of knocking our brains together and what we decided to do is to talk about a selection of favorites or important experiences for us in our video gaming lives. And some of these games and some of these stories we will have told before, but there'll be some new ones too, but it seemed like mm. for episode 100, we could celebrate a little bit about kind of what video games mean to us. So I wanted to start off with the very beginning with the first video game that you remember. Uh and Shahid, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not saying you're older than us or anything, but you maybe have a clear review, memory of your first video game. Uh, so, would you like to explain that
2: experience for us? Well, actually, given that I am utterly ancient, as we've established on—oh, <laughs> God! On several, <laughs> we've established on several previous episodes the the memory might not be as clear as you guys uh, because it's all mixed up going that mm. far back now i'm pretty sure that the first game i saw was pong in the wild this is and it was two player but those were the days when the very first arcade games that came out for everyone that i could remember the grown ups anyway because i was a kid it seemed like they were an extension to the existing gambling machines, right? So they were just Mm -hmm. like the next step up from a gambling machine. So you had slot machines, which had colourful lights. And then you had this weird thing where you didn't win any money, but it did kind of have, well, not colourful lights, but stuff happening on a screen. So that's what it seemed like. And because I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to play. So I don't really want to count Pong. Um, except I do remember we bought some, and I think I've mentioned this before, some really cheap, I don't know, Pong clone. It had those selector buttons on the and you bought it from Argos and had two or three different games, and you had two or three different variations of each game, and you plugged it into your telly, and it was black and white graphics, and it was it was Pong, basically, two player. So that might have been the first, but didn't really leave a massive impression on me. The thing that really did, the first arcade game, and that's the experience of me, the first time I played an arcade game was Space Invaders. And I'm pretty sure that was 1978. And when I first played that, that was, I don't know, it's very hard to describe. It feels like, imagine today, right? You walk, in, you walk outside your house, you walk along the street, you go to your local coffee shop, and inside the coffee shop there is literally a portal. And that portal takes you, I don't know, 20 years into the future, and you can see 20 years into the future. So there was this Space Invaders machine at my friend's parents' BNB in Paddington. And it was down the end of a hall, and this hall had these paisley carpets and paisley wallpaper, and at the end, this thing from the future, this Space Invaders machine. And it was the biggest shock I have ever experienced, biggest future shock, because here for the first time, I was able to control what was going on on a TV screen. And the sounds and the spectacle of that in the 70s was so incongruent compared to everything else that was going on. Because 70s UK was depressing. I mean, it was depressing, except for these little windows of joy that were beginning to pop up all around the city. So space invaders. I
0: mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Really, like you know, I think about this kind of stuff every now and then. Like we look back at Space Invaders now, and it wasn't complex, like it, you know, obviously it couldn't have been. But the you know the graphics are they're pretty simple, right? But that kind of didn't matter because you would still look at this and be like, this isn't like anything I've ever seen before in my entire life, right? It's, it's kind of an incredible thing, even with something so simple that it would create that kind of experience for you. It was shocking. I yeah. mean,
2: there's no, no word to describe it because there simply hadn't been anything like it before. I mean, yeah, you'd seen stuff on the TV that looked cool, right? So this is a year after I saw Star Wars at the cinema uh-huh. and Star Wars, when it came to the cinema was spectacular, but We've been seeing movies for a long time. This is the first time where you had agency in real time mm. over what was happening on a, on a cathode ray tube. And that had never happened before. And of course, this was many years before the idea that you could actually do this yourself. In other words, you could program those uh, those same photons on the CRT screen to behave as you wanted to respond to the controllers. None of that was even in my mind at the time. But the fact that you could do this, you could control what was going on in the TV in real time. And it wasn't just being transmitted to you passively. It was a shocking feeling. You know, there'd be nothing like it ever. What about you, Federica? Did you have a similar experience?
1: Um, I have a very
2: strange relationship
1: with like first video game memories. Uh-huh. Um, which is like, i I don't exactly recall when or how I started as a very young kid wishing for a video game console. So, like, this first question or document, like, it made me think, like, trying to go all the way back to when I was, like, four or five. And I don't really recall when. So the first memory I have is I was at a restaurant with my parents, and I was very young, like, six, I think, and for whatever reason, there was a Super Nintendo console in this restaurant. There was like a TV and under the TV, there was a Super Nintendo. And I remember watching, I believe it was like the like the, the, the children of the owner of this restaurant. It was like a family run type deal, right? And so the, the kids were hanging out in this restaurant and they were playing with this video game console. And it, I remember that it, like it was something that I had never seen before, or maybe like back then I had seen some commercial on TV, but I don't remember now. In any case, I saw that Super Nintendo and I started asking my mom to buy me a Super Nintendo, and that went on for months. And, and like I said, I don't, everything is pretty like hazy right now, like, I don't really remember the details. All I remember is that in 1994 five-ish, I want to say, I finally got a Super Nintendo. So I never owned an original Game Boy up until that point. Never owned a NES. My mom one day came back home and she brought me a Super Nintendo with Stunt Race FX. So Stunt Race FX, pretty terrible racing game. Uh, it was developed by Nintendo EAD I believe Shigeru Miyamoto was the supervisor of this game, um, and it was one of the games meant to show off. Do you guys remember the Super FX um, chip that was built mm-hmm. into the some of SNES cartridges? Yeah. So some some Super Nintendo games like um, Star Fox. And um, Yoshi's Island, they had this additional Super FX chip inside of them to basically help the console in some kind of 3D processing, and which was like super advanced and cool looking at the time. And so my mom comes back home one day with this Super Nintendo console and Stunt Race FX. And so for the following weeks, I would play Stunt Race FX. Pretty terrible game. I had never managed, I believe, to win a single race in that game. Then I don't know what happened. Maybe I upset my parents. Maybe I did something. Anyway, the Super Nintendo console was taken away from me. <laughs> and I would only see it again years later. Like, my mom took it away from me. That's like and proper there was like away. A,
0: That's like big time yeah, away.
1: Big time away. And there was like a whole like period of my life where I was not allowed to play video games, period. Huh. And then what happened, I believe in nine, so like a year later or so, I got like a really bad flu and I ended up in the hospital with a super high fever, something like 40 or 41 degree Celsius type fever. I was like, I was running really hot and my mom was really concerned. And so I needed to be taken to the hospital. And I stayed at the hospital for like a couple of days. And when I came back home, I guess my mom... and changed her mind, I found a Game Boy. So I got my original Game Boy in 1996. And that was really the start of my sort of uh, video gamer career. Um, the Super Nintendo, I really don't know what happened, why it was taken away from me, but apparently like a year later, it took a really bad flu to convince my mom that I was worthy of a Game Boy, I guess. Um, and so my first video game memory, it's Stunt Race effects. On that Super Nintendo, but the first real video game I would play like regularly would be the Ninja Turtles Turtles Two on Game Boy.
0: So that's kind of funny because the first game that I remember is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on NES. (laughs) Ah, now I know this is one of my earliest memories, which is intriguing. A lot of my early memories are video game related. I remember playing Atari, but I don't know... So the problem is I don't know when any of these things occurred. I don't know why we would have had an Atari or when, or like how that would have stacked up against the NES. Now, the thing is... Teenage Ninja Turtles on NES came out in nineteen eighty-nine, so I would have been one. So that seems unlikely that I would mm, remember yes. it from, from then. <laughs> However, I know that the SNES came out in nineteen ninety one in the UK, and I am very sure that we will have we would have gotten one of those pretty early. So my expectation is because I also know that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles experience that I remember was over Christmas, so I'm expecting I was maybe two or three when this was when we had this system. So I, I just trying to work all this stuff out would suggest to me that it is one of my earliest memories is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. On NES, which was pretty good actually, and incredibly difficult. I would love to play some of these games now. Now I think about it, like because I always remember it was so hard. You know, like also like Donkey Kong Country on SNES was one like a one that I remember. Oh, you know. that game was I hated that game. <laughs> like I would pl-
1: again, I played that game years later. Yeah, not you know not at launch, but yeah, I was really bad at that game.
0: You know, and there's, we had a lot of games like that and they just seemed impossible to me. My brother could always do better than them because he was three years older than me. So that's our first games. And I think I want to talk about most influential. Uh, Federico, why don't you go first this time?
1: So for most influentials, I've been thinking about this and, and I, I initially I sort of struggled to like to define what do i consider influential and so uh, in thinking about this this is
0: of course influential to us as individuals not to the overall gaming industry
1: not exactly so not influential for the gaming industry influential to me as a person as an individual playing video games since i was a, a relatively young kid um and so to define influential so i picked Three games, but really only only one of them is my first pick. I have two runners-up, if you will. Um, I picked a game that I think was influential to me for a variety of reasons because it made me... It was the first game that really made me appreciate the craft of and the art of making video games. It was the first game that made me appreciate Nintendo as a company that makes bold decisions And it was the first game that I remember, it was the reason why I would spend hours reading theories and and debates and comments in video game magazines at the time. And eventually on, on, on the first internet forum boards as well. The game that is most influential for me is The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker on GameCube. And the reason is simple. The community was shocked at the time when Nintendo showed off what Wind Waker was going to look like. For context, um, Nintendo, sort of, a a bunch of people were under the impression that Nintendo was going to make the mature Zelda game on GameCube, right? Uh, They had shown off, I believe, at Space World, back when Nintendo used to do Space World in the summer. They had shown off, I think, at Space World 2000 or maybe 2001, a trailer of a 3D Zelda game that was dark and greedy and mature, right? And so everybody was expecting the GameCube to debut with that kind of Zelda game. But nope, Nintendo came out a couple of years later and said, uh, never mind, everybody. We're gonna do a Zelda game that is like a <laughs> that is a, a child Link that looks like a, a cartoon character and it looks like a, like a kids game. Uh, and we don't care because we think this is the kind of bold and fresh and new approach to Zelda that we need to do right now." And I absolutely loved that game. Like, I loved the music, the the graphic style, you know, the cell shading that was so in vogue at the time. But Nintendo was able to, like put a unique spin on it. And the expressions, right? The the facial expressions in that game at the time, we're talking 2003, were just extraordinary. Uh, And the gameplay, the exploration, there were some parts later in the game that could have used some refinement. And in fact, Nintendo did refine them for the Wii U remaster. But at the time, that game was just incredible. I absolutely loved it. And so that would be, for me, my most influential game for me personally of all time the runners-up i want to mention metroid prime you can see there's a trend here in terms of like the gamecube as a sort of uh, you know video game career defining moment for me uh, metroid prime on the gamecube um it changed my perspective on what uh first person first person uh 3d games could look like just incredible feeling all around of being alone on an alien planet and exploring, you know, the sense of atmosphere and the sense of controlling this, this, this character on a different, you know, in outer space, just fun. And the music, oh my God, the music. So Metroid Prime on the GameCube for sure. And I want to mention Pokemon Yellow. Pokemon Yellow, because it was my first English Pokemon game. And... I said this before many times on you know previous versions of this podcast and other shows. I like really a, one of the reasons I I started studying and learning English as a kid was because I I started playing Pokemon in English because I was able to obtain an English an American version of Pokemon Yellow, which came out before the European version. In my hometown in Viterbo, there was a shop that. You know, I my basically my mom convinced them to order an American copy of the game for me because I really wanted to play the game in English and learn the language and play the game before my friends. And so it's not just about Pokemon Yellow, it's about what Pokemon Yellow represents as, you know, an Italian guy who now has a career speaking and writing in English. So that was a pretty big pretty important game for me.
0: Would they have otherwise Oh, would you have always waited for an Italian translation? Would that have existed? Um
1: no, because I had played
0: Pokemon Red and Blue in Italian.
1: Um, and I really and there wasn't Italian translations of those games, and I knew that Pokemon Yellow was gonna be translated, my friends, months later. Right. Uh, so it played, would have been. Pla- okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just I just felt like, you know, these games are coming up before anyway. This was before, you know. Back, back in those days, we used to have Japanese release up front, then American release, and European, you know, slash PAL release months later, the American one. Uh, the day one global release was a dream uh, back at the time. So um, I really felt like I, I needed to start playing all my favorite games in English because I needed to improve the language. That's what I did with Final Fantasy VIII, with Final Fantasy Tactics, with all uh, subsequent Mario and Zelda games, it just—I realized as a kid, you know—it's uh, like I'm, uh, I'm sort of uh, catching two birds with one stone. Is that the mm. expression? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, well, it's it's killing, but catching is nicer. So you oh really yes, catch. so
1: that's the thing. In English, you kill the birds. In, in Italian, it's like you catch them. Um, yep. it's less uh, violent. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I figured, you know, I can learn the language and I can brag with my friends because I'm playing the games
0: first. So it's like a win-win scenario for me. I'm going to talk about Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon Mm. Red and Blue. uh, They were so incredibly influential for me in that it was a video game, you know, that I felt was truly something that I wanted to come to that... My friends weren't that interested at that time. Family members weren't that interested in it at that time. But it was something that I found on my own and, and really wanted. You know, like I had been watching the anime. It was important to me. And it started off a long love affair with this exact type of game. You know, like I've played every Pokemon game since. It's kind of funny. We haven't really spoken about this yet. But the, the upcoming Pokemon games, what are they? The Diamond and Poe remakes? Yes it's like the first game that I have not felt like I've wanted to play mm. I, okay. I, I'm gonna see what the reviews are like, and maybe I'll try it out. It's not it, to me it feels like too many steps back from where Pokemon has come in the last couple of years. Uh, I'm super looking forward to the Legends game. That looks incredible. Yes. That's like everything I want. But when you put those things next to each other, they're pretty different. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm most keen for those games to learn about what the quality of life features are like. That I think that might be the thing that might help me want to play it. Uh, but we'll see. Um, But anyway, Pokemon Red and Blue, you know, they they just started off like just such a long love affair for me. A trend of a type of game that I would always enjoy and would hold very dear. And that really is part of the backbone of my entire love of video games is this series. So without them, I don't know if I would have ended up caring so much. So it's super important to me. I also want to mention Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Uh, Mm, I loved this game, put so many hours into this game. And I think it was really, I mean, I, I also enjoyed and put some time into Grand Theft Auto 3, but Vice City was what I really spent so much time with. And I think it really helped me understand and appreciate what open world, game design could enable and the the idea of which is a thing that I this is where I first learned really that this this thing that I love in open world games where I really love the type of open world game where they can let me make my own game within it you know like play it the way that I want to um, even if it's not necessarily following the path that the game designers have decided for me and so I've always like looked at that game fondly for those reasons it was pretty important for me uh, in, in kind of learning that mm. part of, of who I am as, a, as somebody who enjoys video games
1: so l- let me ask you this mm. if the rumor of, of a Vice City remaster is true are you going to play that game again?
0: I'm too excited about the possibility of that to consider that it's true <laughs>
1: okay, okay. So I have my is answer. I, guess. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't. I don't really
0: want to spend too much time thinking <laughs> or talking about the possibility of that game being remastered. I, I, I mean, I do want them to do that. By the way, I do want them to remaster those games. But I have got to ask Rockstar, what are you doing? Mm. Right, like I, I feel like I really need to understand. I know how big GTA 5 is. Right, like it's absolutely massive. Still, always on the top charts. But, like, to, for them to continue, like, for them to be bringing GTA five to its third console generation mm, mm. and then say, hey, we're remastering, like, three, f- f- 3, 3.5 and 4 without ever saying, oh, and by the way, we are working on 6, I mean, I, I have got to kind of be a bit, like... I th- I think I need a little bit more from you, Rockstar. Like, yeah. I, we need yeah. to. Can you give us a sign of life over there? Like, I I know that you have this huge multiplayer game, but don't forget, like, what you are historically good at. Yep. I don't know, yep. Shahid. What about you? What is what do you consider to be one of your most influential gaming experiences?
2: Well, the game that influenced me the most in terms of the course of my life, was a little known game called Caverns of Mars on the Atari 400.
1: Wow, okay.
2: But before I explain why, I need to take you on a very quick detour to tell you how I got to that. The game that first made me go, oh my god, I need to have an Atari 400 was Star Raiders. And Star Raiders is probably my favourite game of all time, though, I don't know, I like to have a top 8, top 10, but I don't necessarily like to say it's the absolute favorite but Star Raiders would be up there in the top 3 for sure. Man, big Star Wars vibes from the box art.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Very big Star Wars vibes. Absolutely. I mean <laughs> it was it was very different. It's a really nice tactical game. I've often said it's the greatest technical achievement in video game history and I still think that's true today. But that's by the by, Star Raiders is what really wanted what what really kind of um pushed me to want an Atari 400 when I was doing my research. And then there was Eastern Front 1942 by Chris Crawford, who's a legendary game designer. And that's what helped me to, I guess, land the device, land getting an Atari 400 from my mum because I had to pitch it to her. And the way I pitched it was, look, look at this game. This is the only game in the world that does fine scrolling. And this is basically what they call smooth scrolling back in the day at 50 hertz. It was fine scrolling a map. I said, if you get me this, I could do you a map of London and you'd never be lost again. Right. <laughs> it was just such <laughs> such an awful pitch. Anyway, I don't know if she bought it or not, but this is all in the service of a potential hobby that was exciting. Because, you know, who doesn't want an amazing computer in their house, age 15, 16, however? I don't know. I think I, think I was 15, 16, something like that. Is a very long time ago, but who doesn't want a beautiful, exciting, brand new color computing device that can play all these amazing games at the home, right? So initially, a hobby, not so much thinking about programming, but then I got heavily into the programming and coming back to Caverns of Mars and the Atari Four hundred, this was created by a sixteen year old kid called Greg Christensen, whose name I still remember to this day, and he created this game as an entry into the Atari program exchange competition which also released games, and he won the first prize of $25,000. Now, when you're 15, 16 years old, as I was, and you're dirt poor, and the biggest amount of pocket money you've ever had in your life is five quid, and you wear hand-me-down clothes, and you live on a council estate surrounded by racists, constantly, constantly abused, bullied, attacked, Mm. day in, day out, you look at that and you go, hmm if he can do it, I can do it. And that is what changed the course of my life. From that day, when I read about his story, I decided I was going to teach myself Assembler as well. And I was going to learn it in the three months he took to learn it. And having never previously had any real interest in programming, suddenly I was a boy possessed and I was spending upwards of 72 hours without a break, without eating, no sleep, no food, just black coffee, Learning how to code six (laughs) five zero two, and nothing ever changed since. (laughs) And nothing's changed since. (laughs) (laughs) But if it had not been for that game, I would not be in the industry, and the course of my life wouldn't be as it is.
1: You know, I feel kind of bad for picking Zelda with (laughs) Waker. I mean, how do you top that story? Uh, That's beautiful shade
2: just wiping a tear. Yeah, I know. I, I felt like I didn't know how to move on. <laughs> oh, man. Such a long time ago. Let's talk about but some... You hard... guys, oh, go on. go I, on. I just wanted to say, you guys talking about Pokemon, you know, your, your stories aren't light. I see these things every day, repeated. My son is now the biggest Pokemon fan <laughs> in the universe.
0: It doesn't stop, man. Pokemon doesn't stop.
2: I, I just don't get it. I don't get yeah. it. But the thing is, now... Because he's such a big Pokemon fan, because you guys speak about it with such passion, I'm starting to get into it and understand what he's talking about. You know, there is so much depth. It just never ends. Well, because they won't let it either, you know. Yeah. They, you know, but
0: it, it is a really at this point, like Pokemon is basically a framework, you know, um, mm. which they create different games inside of. Uh, but I have no complaint about that. By and large. Mm, let's do Harbour in a minute. I want to do a favourite all-time. Let's just do all-time favourite, uh, but maybe favourite console PC game. Shahid, why don't you start this time? Because I'm pretty sure me and Federico have the same
2: answer. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Um, my favorite's really easy. Super Mario Kart on the Super Nintendo. Okay. And the reason for it is quite simple. Just pure metrics. I spent around two years Playing that game for two hours every single day, at least two hours every single day for two years. And so, if you just think about it in pure time terms, I never invested so much time into a game. And the thing about this game is it never stopped giving back. One player, two player, just never stopped giving mm. back.
0: I mean, it is a classic, right? I mean, honestly, like they kind of cracked Mario Kart from its very beginning. Yeah. Like, what makes that game so good? Comes from the SNES version, and it, like then every time that they maintain those, they work. Like even, you know, like all the multiplayer stuff for the Super Mario Kart Eight Deluxe, it's all still building on what was built into Super Mario Kart. Like, such hmm. a great multiplayer game. It is. Like yeah. let alone like, and that's the thing that I think maybe gets forgotten about. Like yes, you could play Super Mario Kart; it's just a racing game. But like the, the like split screen multiplayer games are so good. Excellent game, so breath of the wild, right?
1: <laughs> I mean it has to be that right well I, so actually i i I kind of debated um you know me uh, my thing for Final fantasy tactics, how yeah. it really opened when I was obsessed with that game as a kid and and I played the GBA version, which was not like a, a like it was more of a spinoff of tactics. But really, the, the, the PS1 game and eventually the PSP uh, remaster wasn't a remake. It was like an expanded edition called The War of the Lions. But I, I, play, I played a ton of Final Fantasy Tactics in my life. But, but I don't recall a single time where I was able to get so lost in a game and so deeply in awe of a game than what happened um four years ago at this point with Breath of the Wild on the Switch. And I think Mike agrees with
0: this. It is just an achievement in every sense. It should never have been this good. Because it was missing so many things. It was meant to be a Wii U game, remember? Yeah. It was <laughs> but none of it, uh, none of that stuff mattered because just the core gameplay experience is so incredible
1: yeah and it's just it's that kind of game that even four years years later mm-hmm. I don't think any open world game has really topped or surpassed you know oh, I mean you I feel... also
0: see there are so many uh, there are just so many games that have come out in the last couple of years that are just ripoffs now which is such an interesting thought.
1: And I played some of those and they're not anything really like like the original, obviously. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's that kind of game where even if I haven't played, say, in six months, right? Because I finished the story, I finished the side quests, um, but I had a bunch of Korok seeds, for example, that I hadn't picked up. And so a few weeks ago, I picked up the game again and it's a game that you can start playing again. And you get lo- you get sucked in immediately again. Mm-hmm. It, it has that kind of quality of like, uh, you know, it's it's always waiting for you. The, 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 that universe, that world is always waiting for you. And it's so accessible, yet, at the same time, it's got that layering going on, right? Yep. Where you can pick it up and you can just walk around and it's fine. Or you can go deep on the mechanics, you can go deep on the side quests, on the gear, right? On, on the stats for the different kinds of weapons that you can put together and all the secrets that you can uncover. And so it's got that sort of progressive disclosure, if you will, of yep. like all the layers of this game, which is so tricky to pull off in any kind of open world game because these days... Most open-world games, they just want to throw content at your face, right? You pick up an Assassin's Creed game, and it's like, here you go. You got 50 different icons and indicators on the map, and you have 200 side quests already. And also, sure, there's the main story. But Breath of the Wild, the way that it holds your hand initially, and then it progressively lets go, and you and you sort of carve your own path into the game, it's just so amazing the way that it was done. And so yeah, has to be top console game of all time.
0: Yep. it's an easy one for me, and I couldn't put it any better than you just did. Well, I'm
1: pleased we are in agreement. Uh, Really good game. Uh, Next up in this category, uh, all-time favorite. um, Favorite handheld game. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a fascinating one. Shahid, I want to hear your pick first.
2: Mm, This was really, really tough.
1: Okay, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah,
2: be- because I I've had so many handhelds, and to pick just one was really difficult. So I went for probably the the sentimental one, and if and uh, I I'm pretty sure both of you would have guessed it, but Super Crate Box on the PlayStation Vita, so good. And and the reason was, and I'm sure everyone's well aware of this by now, is because that was the thing that cracked open indie for PlayStation. It was that game. I went to GDC in 2012, heard a talk by Zach Gage on the controls for Super Great Box iOS, went up to Zach at the end of the talk and said, yeah, um, I agree. They are good for iOS, but the best platform for this is going to be the Vita. And I think he must have thought I was absolutely crazy. So when I came back to the UK, I... I eventually managed to get in touch with Rami uh, of Lambia. Uh, the story is well documented. I won't repeat it, but I convinced him. And the main thing was, I said that you have yet to do this on the best platform for this game. Mm-hmm. And he kind of agreed, which is really hard. I did not expect that. I thought he would take my provocative uh, point Um less kindly but he didn't he absolutely agreed he said okay so we we did a deal in that conversation you know the one where i basically passed out for a few seconds because i'd been in the office all day blah 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 (laughs) but when it came back and we got to play it for the first time we knew this is it this was the thing that was going to flip things around and once we had that and once me and lorenzo started to rack up big scores um And I won our first bet. And then after I won the the bet, he went and trashed my score, tripled it. Because, you know, what am I going to do? Italians are just better at games than than I am. I'm
0: not going to accept this as a, a... Just like not
2: saying, it's we... not a general rule. Maybe not a general rule. But I'm just saying, Italians are better at video games than I am. Pretty much all Italians the game. Lorenzo, Lorenzo and Federico, certainly. But yes, but, but Super Crate Box played best on Vita. And that is what became the tagline. Oh my God, best on Vita. So I started saying that everywhere. And yeah. you know what? Game after game after game from the indie space came onto Vita and it was best on Vita. And they kind of, change the direction it all started with that but it started because the game was really really good yeah and it taught me a lot about life um i've always threatened to write a piece on how super crate box has within it a series of life lessons but i've never got around to doing it i must do that one day because it wasn't just um it wasn't just a flight of fancy. i think there are things in that game that are actually very, very well designed on purpose to make you feel a certain way. Yeah, maybe one day.
0: That's a super good game. I've played it on a bunch of platforms and loved it on all of them. It's a very good one. For me, though, I'm going back to the Pokemon world, and it's Pokemon Yellow. Mm. Um, it's kind of interesting to... like Because I spoke about Red and Blue, and they're effectively the same game. But what makes Yellow so special to me is as a fan of the anime... Being able to experience part of that story intermixed with the original game, so good. You know, in, ever, all anybody wanted was just to have Pikachu as their starter Pokemon, you know, like if you were coming from the anime. So getting to do that and also getting to do that with Pikachu following you around on screen, so good. And it, yeah, they made just some real nice changes to that game uh, and just something that I absolutely love and still treasure as a game. and It's one that I know I could continue to go back to time and time again.
1: I'm also going to pick Pokemon, I think, but for different reasons. Okay. So uh, I, I debated choosing Final Fantasy Tactics, War of the Lions, so the PSP version here. But ultimately, I just figured, you know, it's the game I uh, I have played the most in my life. You know, at seven hundred and fifty hours so far, I think it's Pokemon Sword on mm. the Nintendo Switch.
0: It's it's interesting to call it handheld. Like I wouldn't even think of this as handheld. I mean, obviously exactly. it can be, but it's how you play it, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. So I have uh, of those seven hundred and fifty hours, I would say. 700 I've played in handheld mode uh, because for me the Switch is a portable console really um, that's how I play most of the time and especially with Pokemon uh, I, you know this for me was the game that that helped me rediscover the franchise uh, after 15 years away from it it made me rediscover a community it was the game that sort of saved my my mental sanity during the the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 Mm. Uh, i played that game so much and honestly it it allowed me to get to know a bunch of people on the internet that i'm still friends with today which is pretty awesome and of course now i don't you know i don't play competitive as much or at all compared to a few months ago but having you know i needed some time away from the game having played you know so much of it last year but now i'm sort of getting the itch again to to finish my pokedex which i'm making i was making really good progress in that you know finish the second dlc which i never did the crown uh the crown tundra um and playing competitive in a more you know relaxed and healthier way especially now that the Pokemon Company has confirmed that Pokemon Sword will be the, compa- the the game for competitive online play going forward because Legends will not be it and the and the Diamond remake will not be it either. So Pokemon Sword is here to stay. And so this is my favorite handheld game of all time that I am that I am going to continue playing for the foreseeable future, I think.
0: All right, before we move on, I want to take a quick moment to talk about something that's pretty important to us that we've got going on right now at Relay FM. And this is where we come together to try to raise money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is something that is incredibly important to all of us here at Relay FM. Uh, this is the third year that we have done this uh, that we've been running this campaign which is important for a ton of ways so i want everybody to go to slash relay that's where you can find a bunch of information about what we're doing here you can see the goals that we've got we've got some milestone streams as well that are coming up uh, for stuff that we're doing including the podcastathon so we're doing our third annual podcastathon so that's going to be happening on the 17th of september uh, so we're going to be uh, from 12 to 8 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash FM. We're going to be working together and producing a, a great day and evening. It's eight hours long uh, of content for you that you can tune in for. Because basically September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And so we support the mission, the life-saving mission of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is finding cures and saving children. Because St. Jude is leading the way that the world understands, treats, and defeats childhood cancer and other life-threatening diseases, but they can't do it without the help of people like you. Because of generous donors, families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, or food, because all the family should have to worry about is keeping their child alive. To make this possible, about 80% of the funds that are needed are necessary. Necessary to sustain and grow Saint Jude must be raised every year from generous donors, and we would like you to be one of them. So this September, join Relay FM's efforts to raise the funds and awareness needed to treat and defeat childhood cancer. Donate today at Saint relay Let's cure childhood cancer together. Favorite all-time iOS game? I was actually spending some time playing mine uh, yesterday. Threes. That's a great game.
1: Mm, that's a good game.
0: I think it's like the perfect iOS game. It's just absolutely fantastic. I love this game so much. Uh, it is the game that spawned a thousand clones, you know, because <laughs> the mechanic of it is so good. It's just a truly excellent game. And it's one that I enjoy to play now as much as I have since I started, which kind of isn't the same for a lot of uh uh ios games like my, my kind of enjoyment of them changes over time but no this one 100 still continue to enjoy it just as much as i always mm-hmm. have it is an just an absolute masterclass in ios game design it's perfectly designed it's for the platform it's yeah. an absolute Like and i'm so happy that it's a part of apple arcade now you know because so people yes. who maybe had never played it now could play it uh, who maybe wouldn't have otherwise
1: yeah um, I'm picking two games, but I consider them as part like a, like a series. Um, for me, the, 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 my favorite all-time iOS game would be the Alto series. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Alto's Adventure and Alto's Odyssey. Just excellent games, perfectly made for iOS, for touch controls. Um, you can play on iPhone, you can play on iPad, you can play on Apple TV. I've played the game the most on iPhone where especially in the in the later generations of iPhones i love the haptic feedback that you get in the game and it's that kind of experience that is so charming and challenging at the same time but also relaxing in a way that you know, a, a lot of people play Alto's Adventure and Alto's Odyssey as a way to, you know, to keep their mental health in check. And yeah. the developers are very much aware of this. They have a Zen mode in the game that does away with the points, does away with the challenges, and just lets you run in the game and jump. Um, the music is fantastic. The atmosphere is incredible. The gameplay is stripped down to the bare essentials. And that's why it works. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just makes perfect sense for. You know, this is the the game that, that you see an iPhone, you see this game, and you're like, yeah, this is the game for it. It makes sense. Um, I love it. I've played a ton of it, especially Adventure. And um, when I think of iOS gaming, I think of this one.
2: What about you, Shayed? Oh, this is so hard. So hard. I had to exclude games. Um, well, no. I, I thought I had to exclude games um, that no longer run on the latest iOS, because we've lost so many, but I decided against that. So I'm not sure Orbital still works. I'll have to check with the author who, who whose game I liked so much that I contacted him, he's in Switzerland, to find out how he achieved the effect on iOS. This is way, way back in the day. Uh, Doodle Jump is another that I absolutely loved right from the outset. Um, I mean, it's one of the very, very first games, and it was just ridiculously charming with its extremely simple style. I really miss the Jeff Minter games. He didn't carry on updating them. Um but Grid Runner was amazing on iOS. But my absolute favorite to this day is still Fruit Ninja. Classic.
0: This is like another like threes actually, I think. Uh in that it is a game that completely understands the platform that it's on. Uh and is made for that, and they've made Fruit Ninja for other platforms, and it was fun on in VR too. But really, this is a best played in a touchscreen environment. Yeah. I think. Yeah, you absolutely nailed it there. Uh, favorite multiplayer experiences, Federica?
1: Has to be Super Smash Bros Melee on the GameCube. I played hundreds of hours with that on that game with my friends. Back when I was um, 12, 13, Mm -hmm. uh, in the summer, we used to go to this um, camping area where I've been going to forever since I was a kid. And it was always the same group of friends. We grew up together in the summer. We would spend three months there all together. And I had a GameCube. I had a TV. And when Melee came out, we started playing that game. We would sit like group. You know, our group of like 10, 15 people, uh, 15 young kids, sitting on you know on the ground in front of a TV, uh, you know, four controllers connected via cable to the GameCube, and just having match after match after match in melee, and we would organize tournaments. Right, we would keep track of of matches on on a notebook. And we would spend hours when we didn't want to go to the beach. We would start playing the game at like four p.m. up until eight p.m. until it was dinner time, and our parents would get upset at us. Just so many beautiful memories of playing Melee with my friends, and then of course there were other games we played: Revolution Soccer and FIFA and Tekken. But really, Melee, you know, holds a super special place in my heart for that reason.
2: What about you, Shahid? This was really, really hard. <laughs> But um, I mean, but where do you start? Street Fighter Two, uh, across everything, um, and then all the sequels. Mario Kart across many devices over many generations. Very near the top, I would say Speedball Two and Sensible Soccer, both on the Amiga. The games that gave me RSI, <laughs> I <laughs> smashed. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I spent four oh, months I don't, with my... I, I don't doubt yeah. it. Four I, months I think Zelda arm is, is part sling. of my issue. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of joysticks I smashed, um, my forearms wrecked, my wrists wrecked, arm in a sling for four months. It was a joke. But I couldn't stop playing even once I'd really damaged my arm. It was just incredible. Uh, When would this have been? Early 90s? Yeah, early 90s. So I was young and foolish, but by far my favourite multiplayer experience was Gauntlet in the arcades, both Gauntlet 1 and 2. In, I believe, the late 1980s, in Wardour Street, there was an arcade that said Las Vegas across the front in very pretty coloured lights, and four of us would go down there with five pounds, in 10p coins and just feed that machine for two hours until we were done and it was just beautiful just absolutely beautiful a real quest
0: I don't think I know this game
2: Gauntlet I mean either I've never Gauntlet seen and Gauntlet 2, really oh, old Atari no, game
0: I've heard of it maybe maybe Gauntlet 2
2: yeah Gauntlet and Gauntlet mm-hmm. 2, really old Atari game hmm.
0: but like in the arcades inten- look like at a pretty intense is this like a four-player cabinet or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I used to play, you know, like uh, maybe Ninja Turtles or something. Was had one of these kinds where it was like four different colors. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, my favorite multiplayer experience is probably Portal 2. Uh, a friend of mine, Terry, we grew up together and we used to do this oh, nice. kind of thing every now and then. We played through the entire game in one night, like overnight. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. We were that kind of age, I don't know, maybe like 16 or 17. And yeah. That's the kind of thing we would do. We would get a game, and we'd, you know, I would I remember we would play Need for Speed a lot, right? Need for Speed Underground and stuff. And we both have these experiences where we would basically fall asleep with our eyes open playing the game that like, you know you get i don't know if you've ever experienced that but you're so tired because it's like three or four o'clock in the morning and you're still playing the video game that all of a sudden you see yourself crash into the wall and it's because basically you've fallen asleep uh, and then you know it's time to stop playing but portal 2 was just for us it was one of those experiences where it wasn't a plan to to keep playing until you were finished but we just couldn't put it down
2: Shay, tell me about your favorite gaming hardware of all time Oh, well, I'm going to go on sentiment again, and it's got to be the Amiga, which, because it came quite early in my uh, video games development life, it represented by far the biggest technological leap forward I've ever experienced. I've not experienced anything like it since. Um, the the jumps up in graphical technology since have not compared to the leap from 8-bit tech to the Amiga with all of its custom chips. And I've got to say the Amiga because it also hosted three of my favourite games of all time, mm. which include Sensible Soccer, Speedball 2, Turrican 2, and many others. It's super easy for me. and it's It's, it's got to be the Nintendo
0: Switch. Just because mm. of what the Nintendo Switch allowed, which is that thing that we spoke about at the time, spoken about so many times since... It enabled the dream of the same games, handheld and console, you know, like handheld and home, the exact same game. No change in the game. No like, oh, did you remember to do your cross save (laughs) or any of that kind of stuff because it was the same hardware. Sometimes Mm. it was in your hands. Sometimes it's plugged into the television. It achieved that dream that I'd had since I was a kid. Uh, And it just makes it incredibly special to me. I'm a, uh, Federico. Are you on the same wavelength as me
1: here? Uh, I wanted to pick the Nintendo Switch because I absolutely agree with everything you said, and that is also like the dream of the Nintendo Switch is is exactly that that you can play on the TV and you can play in portable mode. But if I were to pick my all time favorite gaming hardware for sentimental and nostalgic reasons, I think it should be the GameCube because, like I said before, it it you know it's the console that that i played at a you know at the kind of perfect age to form those kinds of video game memories and to to form an interest and and a passion in in the medium and i mean it's a cube with a handle also like it's literally a little cube little fun purple cube with a handle that you can carry around and i actually used the handle a lot because as i mentioned before like we would carry the mm-hmm. thing around you know, play on different TVs at my friend's house, for example. I would take the GameCube with me.
0: Did you have the screen? I, uh, we spoke, I know we've spoken about this before, but I don't remember. I had I the screen. Not. You didn't have the screen? I didn't. That was no, what made that have. thing so good if you could get one, not like extra good, if you could get like uh, one of the screens and then it's like your own little gaming system. Oh, man, I loved that.
1: Yeah, I didn't have the screen, but I would carry it around with me because of the handle. Yeah. Um, and I covered the thing in stickers. I had like a Mario Kart double dash sticker on the on the little um black logo on the top. I had Luigi's mentioned um stickers on the memory cards. Remember when memory cards were a thing that you needed to put into the console? That was fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's the Gamecube.
0: It's also purple.
1: It's also purple with a handle, and it's a cube, so I mean,
0: seriously. So, talking about uh, hardware, all about con- controllers. I'm probably going to go straight back to you, Federico, because if you picked the GameCube as your favorite yeah. gaming hardware, surely yes. you've picked the GameCube controller, which is considered <laughs> by many to be the greatest game controller ever made.
1: Absolutely, best controller ever made for a console. It's the GameCube controller specifically. I would
0: ki- I would pick the WaveBird controller. Mm. So the Wavebird so I always wanted one. I never got one. I always wanted one. This is one of those things that I kind of can't believe I didn't just buy as an adult at some point just so I could fulfill the dream I had for so many years as a kid.
1: Yeah, I don't know why you didn't have one, but I don't know so why. The, the Wave the Wavebird was the first wireless controller I've ever I've ever used at that at that point in my life. Uh the Wavebird Was Bird, it the
0: first one? Well,
1: I I think it was also the first one.
0: Shahid, do you remember? Because DualShock two. Oh God, no! I'm pretty sure it was the first one. I'm pretty sure too that
1: it was the first wireless controller for a home gaming system. What about the Dreamcast? Was that wireless? Was the Dreamcast wireless? That's I my know, only question.
2: I Can't remember.
0: I don't remember. Uh.
1: In any case, the, the GameCube controller was amazing, if only because of the feel of the buttons and the C stick on the right side, and the design of it, the ergonomics of it, and the WaveBird only made it better because it got rid of the cable. You had a little module that you would plug into the controller socket in the console, and that acted as a wireless transmitter for the controller, and that was it. And you can use the you know the same layout, the same you know mostly the same size. Uh, it was just a little, a little heavier because of the battery pack in it, obviously. But the GameCube controller, the pl- the, the the design of it, I think, is still unmatched. And this is from the times when you know, G- video game companies were. Trying a bunch of different weird things with gaming controllers, right? Uh, you would see it in the Dreamcast and Nintendo did it before with the Nintendo 64 obviously, and then the GameCube and then the, the the Wii, of course. And now we don't have that controller obsession as much anymore. maybe maybe that that thing is in the past like, oh, what's the controller going to look like? And now controllers are kind of boring. I mean, sure, the Nintendo Switch is doing a bunch of different things with the Joy-Cons, but really most people, I bet, they use it in portable mode, um, so it looks like a portable console, or they use the Pro Controller, right? The DualSense is trying to do you know, with the haptic feedback and, and the and the triggers, but really the layout and the configuration is mostly the same as before. So the GameCube controller is a controller from a different era when video game companies were trying a bunch of strange and fun things in terms of button placement and feel and ergonomics, and it's my favorite of all time. I'm going to go with
0: the Xbox Elite controller, I think. Oh, fun choice. Okay. It's just a of very... all time? Hmm. This isn't necessarily... I'm not really picking like a... um, I think for this one, I don't know why. I'm not necessarily going for favorite, but just like the best one. It's a really good controller. Uh, My favorite controllers are the modern Xbox controllers anyway. Like, Mm. I really like those controllers. And this is the best one of those. Like, I prefer Microsoft's design to Sony's design. And I'm really like for me the, the the modern Nintendo controllers, they are good because they're kind of like the modern Xbox controllers. This isn't a very exciting one. Uh but I think if I was I think I would have to say it's, it's probably my favorite. I know it's boring, but I d I don't really have a, a, a more exciting pick than that. Maybe go like Wiimote and just like <laughs> tip this whole <laughs> thing on his head.
2: <laughs> what about you, Shane? Well, my favorite uh well, I love the dual sense. Mm-hmm. I really do. But my favorite's the Oculus Touch. Mm. Just because, well, you know, VR. And they feel so comfortable and you are moving your your hands in virtual space and something's going on in that virtual space and it's very compelling. Yeah. They are super good.
0: And it, it, my favorite thing about those controllers is the the touch sensitive areas that they have. So you don't necessarily have to press a button for something to be um, recognized, which I, I think that's really clever. So you can just rest your finger on a button and the controller knows where your hand is. I, th- I find that to, to be quite a good innovation that I expect is just going to continue to uh, appear in lots of different controller designs going into the future.
2: Yeah, it's already happening in lots of controllers. Yep. It's one of the few controllers I actually got to program for as well. So I really huh. enjoyed that whole process. It, it felt wonderful to build prototypes and, and games using this controller. It's just really remarkable.
0: Yeah, uh, Shahid, you had a really nice idea for our final question uh, for this
2: episode. Would you like to read it? Yes, the most important thing to have happened in video games for each of us personally. Since the start of remaster. Uh, I mean, I feel bad Mm -hmm. saying it again, but it's the Switch. But I have
0: different reasons. You know, I think it's very clear that I'm a Nintendo kid. You know, Mm -hmm. like I talk about all of my early experiences and so many of my favorite experiences. They are Nintendo. And like i've I've enjoyed and've owned so many games consoles and played so many games and have played all of the games that our listeners have, can think of, right? of like all of these what are the top games of all time kind of thing. I've played so many of them. But my experiences tend to to move towards Nintendo. And like at the time before the switch came out, they were not in a good shape at all. um the The home console system was really failing with the Wii U the handheld console was, was fine, but became a little bit unimaginative. And I think Nintendo was starting to exhibit some things with the handhelds, which they had with the Wii U, which was like kind of thinking they could take any whimsical idea and just make it work because they're Nintendo. I'm thinking of like the 3d of the 3ds. Right. And, and so it, it was, there was kind of becoming more and more concern, I think around people that cared about Nintendo that, that, they were losing their edge again, and at the same time, gaming in general was starting to focus a lot in places that I didn't care about so much, like mostly multiplayer and competitive multiplayer, which has never been Nintendo's strong suit, which I'm happy about. But that so it, I I kind of felt like I was maybe the, the things that I loved about video games most were, were starting to become outdated and that Nintendo were being left in the past and so in the Nintendo Switch not just being such a well thought out, well realized and actuated product but also being the monster success that it has been has done two things it has changed gaming hardware and changed the types of games that people are playing and the types of games that are being made Because it's not just the Switch is selling well. All of the games on the Switch are selling well. And some of the games that are on Switch are selling Switches, right? So, like, it's this mixture of things. When you look at Mario Kart, the Mario games, Zelda, Animal Crossing, like, these are not, like, the typical experiences that are occurring in other, like, games consoles, right? Or on PC. They're Mm -hmm. they're very different. And so for me, the Nintendo Switch has reinvigorated an era and has brought back a type of game and experience that I love. And it's also doing weird things to hardware. Like, the Playdate and the Steam Deck would not exist if the Nintendo Switch didn't exist, I feel. Yeah. Because they've shown that interesting and weird handheld hardware can be a thing that people care about if it's done right. So for me, it is it's got to be the Switch. I mean, and as well, the Nintendo Switch has really framed so much of this show over its entire being. It would almost feel weird for me not to suggest it.
1: You know, I have nothing else to say about it, really. I feel like, well, all of of what you said absolutely applies. And also for me, it's how the Switch showed... Nintendo not just at the top of their game again after you know the 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 late years of the Wii and the Wii U and the 3ds, but Nintendo sort of dictating the rhythm of the video game industry mm-hmm. in, in in a bunch of different ways, right And you see it in how um, indie games are still alive and well despite you know the next gen consoles, Heavy focus on on things like you know um, uh, fast CPU load times and and rate tracing and all these marvelous technical accomplishments. Yet the kind of experience that you can get on the Nintendo Switch is still what's in the zeitgeist, if you will, in the in the gaming industry. And that's because it's still such a unique idea, right? Four years later, we're getting the first maybe serious competitor to the Switch in the form of the Steam Deck, but really, there's nothing else like it. And, and honestly, like it'll be fascinating years from now for video game historians to, to consider this. this was like the perfect storm for Nintendo. The perfect console at the perfect time, and then the weird combination of this console and the pandemic. Like, I don't know, but... It feels like the Nintendo Switch is still so unique that, I mean, look at look at what's happening now. N- Nintendo doesn't even need to make a new one. They announced an update with that basically only comes with an OLED display
0: four years after yeah. the original console. And it's not for them because they can't stop it's selling fine. them. They They can't make enough of them still.
1: It's an unprecedented story in the video game industry and it's so compelling as a product as a platform as a as a gamer it's such a compelling product that like it it, it slides right into you know whether you are a playstation fair fan or a pc fan or, a, or an xbox fan you can still get and most people do i think you can still get a nintendo switch on the side and it's perfect at what it does so it has to be since we began the show years ago the nintendo switch has to be the most important
2: thing that has changed you know, I wanted not to agree just for the sake of agreeing, but mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I can't help myself. It is a switch. Yeah. it's yeah. Brought, <laughs> It has brought so much joy into so many homes, including my home, no doubt, including your homes, and particularly during what I think is the biggest crisis in any of our lives. Mm-hmm. It is a joy machine. I love mine. Wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Remaster and uh, all 100. We appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you.